Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you today. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but we've got some fun time ahead of us this morning, remembering who God is and what he's done. So I look forward to our time together this morning in the Word and telling these stories. If you're new here and haven't, I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. And uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church and so glad that you're joining us. It's a fun Sunday for you to jump in with us this morning because like you heard Jason say, this is our first time at Lee and that's kind of a, uh, as a result, kind of a neat Sunday where we're going to spend a lot of time uh, just telling the story of what God has done to bring us to this point uh, in our, uh, the history of our church. And so it's going to be a, a great time. And, and the, 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 the idea of, of making a big deal out of the fact that this is our first Sunday at Lee is not just because we are meeting in a new place. You know, that's great. And, and this, this, this school is, is a blessing and it's, and it's awesome in a lot of ways. And it's going to take a lot of getting used to in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, but the, the reason we're celebrating isn't just because we're here, but we're, reason we're celebrating is because of what God has done to enable us to be here. That what we're going to celebrate this morning is the power of God in leading this church and in taking care of us so that we will be moved to worship God and to trust him and so we can be encouraged by the truth that, that God is leading us that he's with us and that he's doing a work in us and through us to make him known. So that's the hope is that this morning we would take time to remember that. And uh, remembering, remembering is an important spiritual discipline. And if you're familiar with the, uh, with the scriptures, with the Bible, you'll know that many times throughout uh, the scriptures, God calls his people to remember to remember who he is, to remember what he's done. It's a very important spiritual discipline. So this morning, we're going to spend some time as a church body remembering. And on, uh, this week, has been thinking about this Sunday uh, passage that's been strong on my mind. is Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. For those of you who have been around Midtown for a while, you know like whenever uh, someone becomes a, a partner with our church, uh, we give them the very awesome and, and cool, highly coveted uh, Midtown Rock, right? And th that rock is from uh, or symbolic to Joshua 3 and 4. So you've heard me reference this passage many times. But this morning, I want to look at this really quick because what you see in this passage is a call that uh, I think is so important. It, it is a call to remember what God's done, and to also attach to the remembering why he's done it, what he's up to, what it means. And so if you will, you could turn to Joshua chapter 3 or Joshua 4. Um, let me give you some context to this. This is uh, Joshua 3, 4 tells the story of one of the most climatic events in all of biblical history. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the, the nation of Israel had, had been freed by God's power from slavery in Egypt, that uh, God had done uh, many miracles to make that happen. And then uh, as a result of disobedience by the nation of Israel, they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. But finally, God was going to bring them into the promised land. 
where he was going to have them thrive as a nation to be his mouthpiece to all of the nations that they would see as God blesses the nation Israel, that they would be a blessing to all peoples, that all people would know who God is and God would be glorified throughout the earth. And so God was finally about to bring them into the promised land. So this is a very climactic event. Joshua 3 is the nation of Israel coming to the Jordan, about to cross over from the wilderness into the promised land, but there's a problem. Jordan's at flood stage. It's gigantic. How are they going to cross this river? Well, God does something miraculous. And in his power, in his divine power, he did what he, in a real similar fashion, what he had done for Israel and to enable them to leave Egypt. He, uh, remember that part of the story, right? He splits the Red Sea. Nation Israel walks across and dry, dry ground. Well, here about to enter the promised land, again, God does something very similar. Display of his power. He, he stops the Jordan River upstream so that the nation of Israel could enter the promised land by walking across the Jordan River bed on dry ground. In fact, this is what it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Now, look what happens next. Chapter 4, very next verse, verse 1 says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at a place where you will stay tonight. Interesting, right? Pick up 12 stones. And why would God have them uh, pick up these 12 stones? Well, it's because they just had witnessed an incredible miracle by God, right? Drying up the Jordan so they could walk across on dry ground. But God knows something that we often forget. And that is that we often forget right? God knows that even in the most like miraculous things, when God really does some, something powerful, something amazing, we will often forget those things. And so God says, hey, take these 12 stones. So you're going to remember. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, verse, uh, picking up at verse 20, he says this. It says, uh, and Joshua set up at Gilgal. That's where they stayed that night. So stayed, uh, set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that, had taken, that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. And then hear this, there's two so that Statements made here. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. See, why did God have them gather and set up those 12 stones? It wasn't just so that they could remember that they crossed the Jordan and were now in the promised land. It wasn't like, oh, that, there was one time we weren't in the, uh, in the promised land, and now we are. And those stones remind us that we did that. 
Now, it was much more than that, much more significant than just simply what happened. It's, it's what made it happen. Or I could say, who made it happen? That the, the stones were there to remind them that God did this. The stones were there to cry out to anyone who saw it, especially as it says the next generation, the kids that would point at the stones and say, what are those stones for? And the parents can say, let me tell you what those stones are for. These stones cry out, God did this. God did this. The reason we're here in the nation, in the promised land as a nation is because God did this. That's what those stones were there for. So that the people would remember and be encouraged that God was leading them and had a plan for them. That they would not just be happy that we're in a new place, but the stones would remind them the reason they were in a new place is because God was leading them and he had a plan for them. God did this. That's what those stones were there to help them remember. They were also there to help them remember one other thing, that these stones all had like kind of a missional purpose, if you will. Because as it says, uh, they were there so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. See, the stones were there as a reminder that God wants to be known. See, the whole reason the, the nation of Israel was moving to the promised land was, as I said earlier, so that God would get the attention of all the nations through this nation as he blessed them that they would be a blessing to everybody. Because God wants to be known. And that the stones were there to be this reminder that all of the nations would know that God is powerful and to remind the nation of Israel that God wants all the nations to know that, that God wants to be known. So the stones were there for these two purposes, to shout out, God did this. And so take heart, he's leading us, he's with us, and God did this because he wants to be known. And we get to play a part in that. This morning, we're going to take time to uh, remember and we're going to use our version of these memorial stones. We don't have stones. In fact, we're going to use pictures. And I think pictures are better because I think that if Joshua and the Israelites had had the option of taking a big selfie as they crossed the Jordan with it when it was parted, they would have probably got, opted for that. That would have been a sweet picture. So they didn't have the capabilities, but we do. So we're using pictures to help us remember what God has done. But these pictures and these stories that go with them all carry with the same, this, are all going to be told to help us remember the same thing that those stones were there to, to help the Israelites remember. That God did this. And when I talk about this, I mean Midtown Church. I mean this. And Midtown Church, just a reminder, that's, that's us. That's these people that you're sitting next to and you also. And then God did this. And he's leading us. And he's with us, and he did this so that he would be known. He would be known by us, and he would be known by those in our community in Austin. And so we're going to tell these stories, and I hope that it helps you remember that. I hope that it encourages you in that way. And then we would see, hey, 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 we're at Lee. That's great, but we're not celebrating just because we're here, because of what it means that we're here. You know, God did this. But we're not going to start with that story. We're going to start all the way at, back to the beginning. So let me bring up Pete Craycroft, and he's going to come up. Pete's a, our uh, elder chairman, 
And he also is one of the uh, founding uh, members of Hill Country UT. And so uh, as a member of that plant and as our elder, I figured I'd have him kick things off just to talk, start talking about some of the things that God has done in the history of this church that we can be encouraged by that he's done this. So take it away, my friend. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, it's great to be here with you. Great to be in this new lo- location. And uh, you know, the, the, the roots of Midtown Church, like Jake was saying, go all the way back to the, uh, the founding of Hill Country Bible Church UT back in the fall of 2005. And when I think of, of marker stones and, and things that we use to remember what God has done, um, I'm always led back to people and the people that God has used to both provide and lead the church and, may, and move things forward. And uh, so we've, we've got the charter, the original charter from Hill Country Bible Church UT here, and it takes me back to thinking about the uh, 60-some-odd adults and 12 college students that we started Hill Country Bible Church UT with back in 2005. And, uh, you know, Hill Country UT was actually one of the earlier church plants in the Association of Hill Country uh, Bible Churches. Um, It was actually number four of the plants. It was the fifth Hill Country Bible Church. And I can remember uh, striking out to come down here and start that church with that group of people. And and, uh, we kind of had the feeling that we didn't really know what we were doing. (laughs) But we were going to go and we were going to step out on faith and we were going to trust God uh, to lead us, and, and so there were, there were some key people back then, and uh, there, there was one group of people that my wife Karen characterizes as being obnoxious Texas fans, and uh, that would include people like Rick Perales and Ron Rogers and, and Eric Haug. Um, I prefer to think of us as, as people who love the University of Texas and love Jesus and loved Hill Country Bible Church, but my wife tends to tell the truth and kind of say it like it is. There were, uh, there were also a couple of key Aggies, Clint and Donna Cagle, and a couple of key Razorbacks, Dave and Kristen Cochran, who were part of that group. So it was a, it was a group effort, kind of an overall Big 12 effort, you know, to get <laughs> Hill Country Bible Church UT kicked off. It wasn't very long. I mean, I mentioned those 12 students, and one of those students was Brad Laws, and part of God's provision was raising up some crucial student leaders, and Brad certainly was one of those guys. He was a homegrown guy from Austin who'd grown up at Hill Country Bible Church and helped to start the church, and uh, of course, he ended up marrying Aubrey, and, and uh, they, they met at Hill Country UT, UT I think, is that right? And, uh, and then they went to Downline, and of course, Brad eventually came on staff. And then another person who I view as a really key student uh, that, who appeared early on in the life of the church was Jenny uh, Yeoman Sanyuk. And uh, I can still remember where I was standing when Karen and I met Jenny for the first time when she was just a little fresh-faced freshman <laughs> at, uh, at UT. And, of course, everybody knows Jenny. Everybody knows the key role that she's played in the life of the church and still plays and um, we conned her into coming on staff five or six years ago, and she's just done a great job of connecting people and kind of really being a big part of the backbone of what goes on around here. So um, there were also, and, and, I, and I, I can't overemphasize this enough, there were some very key outside donors 
who made the whole thing happen financially because uh, it wasn't very long before we discovered, hey, we're a college church. That's the reality. And 85% of our congregation are college students. And college students are not widely known for having deep pockets and giving a lot of money to support the ministry of a church. And so um, we, had, we had a great relationship with three or four really key big donors who supplied about two-thirds of our budget back then. And that enabled us to be able to stay at University Baptist Church and rent the space that we had just half a block off the drag for nine years. And it was expensive, and it wouldn't have happened without, uh, without the contributions of those big donors. So God used those people in an amazing way. Uh, he also raised up our, our two key leaders, uh, senior pastors Denny Henderson and Jamie Trussell. And uh, Denny served as our pastor for about eight years, and, and then uh, Jamie came on after Denny moved on and, and led us through the transition to, uh, from Hill Country UT to Hill Country Central to Midtown. And uh, it, was, it was an honor to be able to serve with both of those guys. And when I think of, of marker stones from the riverbed, it always takes me back full circle when I think of the Hill Country Bible Church movement and just what God has done and how God has provided over the last 30 years of this incredible movement that's, that's really changed uh, the spiritual environment of Austin and Central Texas and, and into the far reaches of the world. I can't help but think of the, the 17 founding members of Hill Country Bible Church who back in the, in the early to mid-80s, had a vision for uh, establishing a Bible-believing and teaching church in northwest Austin. And uh, through their faithfulness, Hill Country Bible Church was started, and, uh, and we've just seen the far-reaching results of all that. And uh, it's, it's been truly amazing to see how God used their faithfulness and how God's vision, they had a great vision, but God's vision for how he was going to use their faithfulness and their vision was so much broader and so much far-reaching than even what they could, uh, could imagine. And so uh, it's amazing to see what God has done and how his faithfulness has provided for everything that's taken place that's led us to this point. Right. Okay. So a little history, there you go. Feel educated? Getting a little history lesson here. Uh, key things that God done in our in the history of our church. I want to bring up uh, my beautiful wife to come and talk about how <laughs> cute uh, <laughs> how Midtown came about. Yeah. Okay. Hey, good morning, guys. It's my first time to see a lot of y'all. I've been in Midtown Kids this morning, but it's good to see you. I get the huge privilege of getting to share the plant of Midtown. Um, I get really reflective in the fall every year because I feel like some of the most significant ways I've seen God show up have always been in the fall, which is kind of cool. And one of those is the planting of Midtown. Um, Jake and I knew for a really long time in our marriage that part of the story God was writing with our lives was going to include a church plant. Um, and when it came time where we could tell that the timing was coming up, the big question, right, was where? Where is this church plant going to happen? And I vividly remember going around the city and praying in different locations and just asking God, like, will you please be clear? Show us where it is that we should, we should be planting Midtown Church. 
And two of my most vivid memories in this area, one is praying at a picnic table in Mueller, and another one is watching Camp Enoch play at Shite Park and praying while they were playing and just feeling just a really strong sensing that God wanted us to plant here. One of the biggest things that was a motivator for us was recognizing that 76% of the people in this area do not believe in Jesus. And y'all, if you don't already know this, that's more than most countries we send missionaries to. And we just felt like, okay, God, would you have us? Would you have us plant a church of missionaries in our own city? And we felt like he said yes, but there were some really big obstacles ahead of us. And so it was like, okay, God, we can't, we can't do this alone. We need you to show up. One of those big obstacles was a really um, stupid ask (laughs) we were going to be asking people. We were asking people not only to consider being a part of our core team and planting a church with us, but we were asking them to consider selling their homes in the suburbs, moving into the city with smaller square footage and a larger rent than their previous mortgage. And I'm going to be honest, I felt like that was a laughable ask. (laughs) I thought maybe some of our closest friends would say yes because they liked us, um, but I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And so we asked, and we asked, and we asked, and we asked. And a lot of the friends that we were really close with that I thought maybe would say yes just because they liked us said no. And a whole lot of the people that we asked um, that really loved God more than they loved us said yes. We had 14 households choose to leave where they previously were and make significant sacrifices and live by faith to move into the area. And we're so thankful. The next big obstacle was actually finding those homes. (laughs) Because if you know anything about the area around here, not only are the houses small and the rents large, but they're also really hard to find. Um, Find something you can afford in the area that's not gonna go off the market super fast. And so 14 households time and time again We'd be praying and searching and praying and searching together as a community. And we see God show up with the just right apartment or the just right house in the just right location. It was significant. And if you ask any one of those families, they have a God story with their homes. And it's pretty cool. The next big obstacle that we were facing was gathering. Um, Okay, God, you've moved some key people into this area to live as missionaries, but where are we going to gather on a Sunday morning? Because we learned very quickly, not only do 76% of the people not believe in Jesus, but the church as a whole actually has a really bad name in this area. We felt like God was calling us to meet at Breaker Woods Elementary, but they had never allowed a church to meet there before. They, like most of the people here, weren't very fond of churches, and so we were just like, okay, God, how are you going to do this? But he did it. He softened hearts, he worked it out, and we found ourselves gathering as a church body at Breaker Woods Elementary School in a community that never welcomed a church before. We built some great relationships there that thankfully we still have today, and we're so grateful. God called us to this area with his mission, and the mission felt different than we had experienced in our church experience before. It felt harder than we thought it was going to be in a lot of ways and um, much more exciting than we could have ever dreamed. And uh, it was so cool to get to do that in community. And with this mission to really love and serve Austin in a way that we felt like we had been loved by God and served by God, one of the very early things that we felt like as a core team that God was calling us to do was this um, 
program, if you will, called Alpha. <laughs> and y'all, my palms literally get sweaty just thinking about it because it was such a scary thing. Um, Alpha is basically this 12-week program where you gather. We did it in homes. You share a meal. You watch a video about Christianity, and you have conversations about what you believe and what led to your beliefs. And uh, we, very scared, made a lot of asks. We asked and we asked and we asked, would you consider being a part of this discussion? We value multiple beliefs. We want to see people there from all different beliefs to add to this conversation. And we had a lot of no's. <laughs> and we didn't die, which is great. Um, but, y'all, we had 87 yeses. We had 87 people that walked through our homes at least once for that 12-week discussion on Christianity. Oh, that, by the way, wasn't just a 12-week discussion on Christianity, but it ended in a retreat. Like, who asked their neighbor, hey, do you want to talk about Christianity for 12 weeks and then go on a retreat with me? It just doesn't feel um, like a typical ask. But we had 87 people say yes and go through Alpha with us, which was absolutely incredible. Nine of those people trusted Christ. Some of those people are a part of our church family today. And many, many of them are people that we still are loving and we're serving and we're having spiritual conversations with. This has been such a journey. After Alpha, we thought, you know what, nine believers, nine new believers, we want to have our first baptism. Again, where are we going to gather? Where are we going to do this? We wanted it to feel like family, feel like home. Um, none of us had backyards with a pool or a horse trough or anything like that. Um, but we did have a friend, the Carols actually more specifically, had a friend that had been invited to Alpha that had a backyard that would work. And we were probably crazy to think, hey, can we ask this family if we can gather and have a baptism in their backyard? Because they're atheists. Uh, they did not believe what we believed, but we're saying, hey, can we have this really sacred um, beautiful tradition of dunking people in water because they're following Jesus in your backyard. Um, but because the carols in particular and their community around them had loved and served their friends well, they said yes. God softened their hearts, allowed us to do that. And so we found ourselves having our very first baptism service in the backyard of an atheist. Our roots are so deep, y'all, in missional living and loving people and serving people. It does not feel any less scary today than it did then, but it's not any less exciting today than it was then to, get, to see God show up, to get to see God show up. When we lean into community and we lean into mission, to continually say that he wants his name to be made great in this area. And so it's so fun to get to be a part of it. Man, love that. Okay, Jenny, come on up uh, as she's coming up. Just, I guess, I hope you hear again and again, like, God did those things. Like, all those things that led to the planting of Hill Country UT and the planting of Midtown Church. That was, like, it can't be explained minus the powerful hand of God. God did those things. And he's done many more things. And so Jenny's going to talk about one of those. Take it away. How was that for a smooth transition? That was such was that, a great so transition. Good? Nice. So great. Cool, I'm going to be the comic relief. So we already talked about a couple of things, and we got this beautiful charter over here. We see these lovely signatures. We have this lovely charter over here from Midtown. Um, and my stone of remembrance is keys. Because 
That's what I remember. So I'm going to tell you all a little bit about that story. So when I uh, started coming to UT, I got there, and I was saved pretty late into high school, probably when I was about 18 years old. And so when I came to college, I was a new believer. And my parents, um, my family wasn't, wasn't a believer family at all. And so I had a spiritual mom who pulled me aside one day and said, hey, when you go to college, find a church and make it home. And I really did take that advice to heart. And so when I walked in and I met Pete Craycroft, which I remember that moment. I don't even know where you are in front of me, <laughs> as always. And, uh, and he came up to me and I was like, man, he reminds me a lot of my dad. And I was like, hmm, I guess this must be home. And so I hung around. Um, started doing uh, just different things with Pete and different groups there, really saw Hill Country UT grow, and it really just changed the way in which my spiritual walk was happening. I got to see a lot of my friends come to know Jesus. It was super cool. Um, and so the church really shaped my faith, and we continued to shape in the lives of others. And so when I graduated, most people left. We were about 85 to 90% college students. And so as I graduated, a lot of people left. And I remember choosing right when I graduated, started working in market research that I was gonna stay because the church had poured so much into my personal walk that I wanted to return the favor. And so I made the weird journey of living close to campus and continuing to serve and love college students as they came in there. Um, and Pete, uh, I think, noticed that and started calling me probably every three to four months saying, hey, I know you really love your job, what if you didn't do that anymore and started working in ministry? And I said, Pete, I really like my job. I'm also kind of rough around the edges. You don't want me working in a church. And he said, okay. And so every three or four months for the next year and a half, so five phone calls in, he would call and ask me, hey, have you thought about doing full-time ministry? And the first couple of times, I laughed, and we had a good joke about it. And then by the fourth one, he had called me, and I said, Pete, I, I actually quit my job. I still don't want to work in full-time ministry, but I'm not working right now. And he said, will you at least pray about it? And as the Lord does, I prayed about it. And when he called me the fifth time, I was ready to say yes. And so on May 16, 2012, Brad Laws and I started working at Hill Country UT, and this is where the keys come in. So they've talked about these charter moments where they were like, we had these people come, we asked people, and it was great. And then nine years in, we had seven people who were working full-time who walked away and said, we're going to do something else with our lives. Um, they all walked away on May 15th, 2012. So on May 16th, Brad and I walked in, they handed us a set of keys and a half sheet of paper and said, good luck. And that is how we started working in ministry. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. Um, I think that was probably one of the scarier moments. Um, luckily, I had never worked in ministry, and so I assumed this is totally normal. I have everything I need. Let's do Sunday morning. And I think Brad knew a little bit more, and so he said, you know what, I think we should pray for a while. And so we prayed for about eight hours a day for the first week and a half to the point where my husband had to say, I think you're spending too much time praying with Brad Laws. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. So, I mean, we did prayer walks, we did prayer sits, we did prayer steps, we did singing. I mean, we, we prayed, we prayed a lot. And by God's grace, somehow Sunday morning happened. Um, and we had to start praying that God would really work. We had 
actually no idea what we were doing. I mean, it was like we were building a roller coaster and riding it at the same time. Yeah, picture that, visual image. That was what our first six months looked like. Um, and we prayed that God would show up and really lead us, and y'all, he seriously did. Looking back now, it's actually insane that our church still exists. By all human standards, we should have closed our doors and moved on like a long time ago. It's been, it would have been so, so easy to just walk away. We had a lot of chaos and a lot of really hard moments. But the theme of this story, as with so many in different parts of scripture, is that that is perfect. That's literally the, that's the perfect metaphor for everything that I'm saying. Literally couldn't have been better. Welcome to full-time ministry. So <laughs> that's great. Thanks. Appreciate it. So we had a lot of great moments and great people who really showed up. When we prayed for somebody, I mean, no offense, I'm not the best preacher, and neither is Brad. I love you. You're great. Um, <laughs> but the, between the two of us, we really needed somebody who could, who could preach the word and, really, and teach college students what, like, how, how they can live through college. And so we had a guy named Colin Huber who would drive every Sunday from Dallas to Austin to preach for us for the first six months. When I tell y'all it was chaos, I'm not joking. And we had a guy who had been there forever. His name was Tim Walner. He led worship for us, and he was amazing. And he just took over that whole ministry and really made it his own. We had um, a guy named Matt Moore who came. And the part I forgot to mention is right after we started, they informed us they couldn't pay us fully or at least to the amount that they had originally stated. So we decided we had to raise uh, about half of our salary in support. So that was another um, added fun element to starting full-time ministry. Um, but we had a guy who had just started working in Austin named Matt Moore who had been raising support for ministry for a long time. And so he got us involved with that and taught us how to do that. I mean, y'all, God brought people after people after people after people to help us figure out what we needed to do. And I think just the main theme that I saw over and over and over again was that God is so faithful, even when I don't think he'll show up. Even when he literally has to show up for us to keep the doors open. He literally needed to provide hundreds of dollars for us to continue doing ministry. He had to provide a preacher who would drive three and a half hours every Sunday to preach. We didn't have a, we didn't have a preaching pastor I, I could tell you 10, 11 more stories about that first year of ministry, but I know how much that he loved his church. And then he, he brought us a place that when we couldn't no longer worship near campus, we did it again. We prayed. We prayed a lot. We prayed a lot that week. And God brought us the Baker Center, and that's just a whole other story. of It's just amazing. Just time and time again, when we thought that our church would close the doors ever, he, he would provide a way out. It's been a super big journey for sure. I've been here six years now, and it has still been pretty chaotic. Nothing like that first week. But I've learned more about God's character and his love for his people by watching the story of this church unfold uh, more than any other means. I can honestly tell literally 100 more stories about how God's worked for this local church. You'll likely hear a few more of them here in a minute. But let us not forget, even on the hard days, how far our God has brought us in this small church. Let's look at these stones of Midtown and remember and praise God for all that he's done. Thank you. All right. It just gets me every time I hear that story. 
just hand on the keys. So the other guy that got the keys handed to is coming up, Brad Laws. And so Brad is going to tell, and I'll kind of tag team with you, tell a little bit of the story of another thing God did. All right. So uh, my name's already been thrown out there a few times. I got to sign this charter in 2005. I was a senior at UT, won the national championship that year. It was awesome. <laughs> just had to throw that out there. Uh, so there was a lot of hype starting our church, and it was really exciting, and our church grew really quickly. Um, Hill Country UT always wanted to see every student have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so uh, I met my wife there. I got discipled there. I feel like God really grabbed a hold of my heart at Hill Country UT. And then I went off to Memphis and came back um, five years ago when, when Jenny mentioned. And um, we just had a heart to, to see Hill Country UT's mission continue. Uh, we had seen how it had so much impact on people that had come and gone. It had always been a transient church. And we were, just, we, we were praying that it would be a church that would be more established in the city. And so Hill Country UT moved off campus. We got more sustainable financially. We changed our name to Hill Country Central. We were trying to attract more families and young adults to stick around after they graduated. Um, but that was still challenging when you come into a church that's 75% college students. So they would come and visit and say, that's really cool what you do with those kids. But they often wouldn't come back. And so um, five years or four years ago when we transitioned to Hill Country Central, I'm really cold right now. I'm not just nervous. Uh, <laughs> we were trying to figure out how are we going to be a sustainable church. Appreciate that. <laughs> the love here. Uh, we were trying to figure out how are we going to become a sustainable church uh, where we had more internal giving and we had families and were more established in the community. And then simultaneously, um, we actually, I've known Jake forever since I first moved to Austin um, in, in middle school. And we were actually helping pray for your for Midtown and supporting them and seeing what God was doing with them. And so um, I'll let him kind of share where they were at when we transitioned to Hill Country Central. I got Mike. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> the, uh, you. Don't even need me. Yeah, and so at the same time that they are making that transition to Hill, or, uh, Hill Country Central, uh, Midtown, we had been planted for uh, coming up on two years, and uh, we were facing a pretty big transition ourselves. And, and uh, basically, we had planted with about six college students. Uh, four of those six were graduating or, or moving on for uh, different reasons. And so uh, our hope was that when we were planting, we would have, uh, uh, you know, we, we wanted to be a church that, that represented and was postured to minister to our community. And our community here in High Park, Rosedale, Delwood, and Hancock, all these neighborhoods is, is you know, it's young professionals, it's young families, it's, it's some older people, no offense, like Pete, but like, like, like Pete. And, uh, and, then there's, and then there was a, tons of students in the area, but we, didn't, we were losing our, our students. And when you don't have students, it's kind of the opposite of them. When you don't have students, it's hard to be a place where students will come and stick. And so we were thinking, well, how do we reach the campus? In addition to that, we were also, uh, we planted with, uh, I was the lead pastor, we planted with another full-time staff guy, Adam Brunson, and he was transitioning off of staff. And so we were losing a staff person without the ability to bring on someone new. And so uh, what was two people doing a full-time job was going about to be one person doing a full-time job. That was a big transition that we were looking at. And so during, knowing that that transition was coming up, uh, we got approached by these guys. Yeah, so, so Jake and I, we've, we've been friends from way back. I actually interned for Jake back in 2004, so we were already talking about how our churches were doing, and he actually sent college students to our college minister, and they were part of it for a year, and, and we were trying to talk to them about how we could uh, be more effective in the community, and 
And we just started praying about how, how can we work together to better reach this part of town. And um, one day, I was taking a shower. That's a good thing to do. And uh, <laughs> Best thinking happens there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I really just put on my heart, what if we actually, like, could we be t- better together than we were apart? And so I began to approach Jamie Trussell about it, and then we talked to Jake about it, and we just began a prayer process over that next year of, hey, could we, could we actually work better together than we, when we are apart? And so um, just as, as a, after a season of prayer with our elders getting involved and our churches actually uh, voted on that, we, we merged. And it, it seemed to make a whole lot of sense because we didn't have those families and young adults that were sticking around as much, and they had more families than other college students. And so it made a lot of sense. The other part about it that I was thinking about this morning is we had prayed about a location to meet in, and we had looked at, I don't know, Jamie had gone around to about 50 places, and we ended up at the Baker Center in um, Midtown. You can probably tell your side of this better, but you had talked about two locations that they were going to meet, and it was either going to be the Baker School or Bryker Woods. And so they had two locations that they were thinking about uh, worshiping in, and we happened to be in the other location. And so there were all these factors that seemed to line up where and maybe, it's, maybe it makes sense for us to actually merge, even though both of our churches at that point were more sustainable, maybe we'll be better together than apart. And so we prayed through that process, and then what was that, three years ago? Two years, two years ago. Just yeah, two years ago. over two years ago. Two years ago, we actually did that in the summer of 2015. And so Jake's going to tell a little bit about kind of what happened. Yeah. And so, you know, many of y'all were through, you've know, been with us through that process. And, and it's been good and, and hard at times. And we've had uh, some friends who were with us who aren't with us any longer for different reasons. And we've had new, many new people come as a result. And what, what it, God, basically, what we want to say is that the merger is a milestone in the life of our church that God did. That we, neither of our churches had set out ever with a plan to, to merge, to come together. And yet God, in a number of ways, some that Brad was just enumerating, he aligned us to come together as we prayed, as we sought God as church, as two separate churches that felt like, yeah, we, two are better than one. You get a better return for their labor, as Ecclesiastes 4 says. And we felt like this is what God is doing and so he brought us together with, for the main reason, for the vision of trying to help, well, partner with God to get the gospel to every man, student, <laughs> woman, and child. And what's really awesome is that this week, and in a lot of ways, like this week kind of marks the, if you will, the end of that chapter. When we started that merger, we, the very first Sunday, we had this whole thing of writing the next chapter, and we gave out these midtown pens, and we did a big Sunday on, on that. And, but in, in a way, moving to Lee feels like it's kind of the end of that chapter, closing of that chapter. And what's really awesome, by God's sovereign and gracious you know, care for our church and leading us, and because he's doing this and he wants to be known, this week, we found out, heard three different stories of, of, a, of a child coming to Christ this week as a result of the ministry of our church, of a student coming to Christ as a ministry of our church, and as an adult coming to Christ as a ministry of our church. And we think, that's us better together. So Hill Country UT was reaching students primarily. And we, we were reaching some adults and some, some children, but Together, this church, God's building something here that's going to help us better reach the population of our community. Every man, woman, 
child and student. And as this chapter ends, we just get to see God work in a powerful way to say, yeah, he's doing that. And he's got a lot more ahead of us. And so, because God is doing this, because he's leading us, and because he wants to be known, man, take heart, be encouraged. God's with us. And it's awesome. What a privilege. Were you going to say anything else? Yeah, last thing I was going to say. <laughs> ready for me to go. Last got thing on, I was going to say. on a roll there. Yeah, yeah, you're preaching. Uh, I was just going to say, this is my first time to Lee Elementary, and this, I got goosebumps just walking up here. I mean, I started off as a single dude in 05 as a senior in college. Now I have four kids. And um, coming, even just stepping on this campus has been encouraging to me. It just feels more family-friendly. It's an elementary school. We've always talked about if we're going to reach this community, we need to be in the community. And so... Um, and then, and then on, I've been a college pastor here at our church. On the flip side of that, we have college students that live next door to this school. And so for, for the two visions to align, I, I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't have asked for a better location. And uh, we had talked about this location, and it was never a possibility. And somehow, again, I'm going to let Justin share that story so he can come on up. But the, the way that God opened up this location, again, just God's hand on our, on our two churches coming together and really just his church, his people uh, making him known for his glory. So, Justin. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, God. I'll make this really brief because I don't know about you. I'm, I'm in the mood to worship and celebrate communion, uh, so we're going to do that together. Uh, just real briefly, when we got the call at the very end of June where they said, hey, we just sold Baker School. You guys have three weeks to move out. <laughs> you can imagine the panic that set in. We're like, gosh, we can't find a place that quick. And we're deeply committed to staying near the University of Texas and staying in central Austin neighborhoods. And there's just reality, there's not many places that could even hold us. So on top of that, the teachers, the principals were on a three-week break, so we couldn't contact any principals. We went around to different event centers, and every place we found was either too small or too expensive. And so we just came to Lee, and we prayer walked Lee and said, looked through those back windows back there and saw this auditorium. We were creeping a little bit. And was like, oh my gosh, this place could fit us all. Let's start praying that God would do this. I had a friend, that, uh, many friends over the years because of my campus ministry days have tried to get leave for churches. And my most recent friend was a guy named Jay, Jay Simmons from Grace and Peace Church. And at, I called him up and said, hey, what happened when you guys contacted Lee? And he said, no, Lee, Lee told us no because uh, this, this auditorium shares space with a music teacher. So it's kind of like you have to get teacher's approvals for classrooms. You also had to get the music teacher's approval for this. And Rightfully so. It's her space. Uh, she can decide whether she would want this disruption of a church or not. And so we were told that she had said no for years and years, and it wouldn't happen. But we thought, well, let's just let's ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. And so we uh, put in a call. I had a friend who works with AISD, and I asked her, I said, hey, could you put in a good word uh, with the principal to us? And she said, I'll try. And a couple weeks later, still during that dead period of principals being out of service, got a text message from her and said, I'm sitting here with the principal, and he seems really excited about having y'all. Like, no way, how did this happen? So Jake ended up calling, calling the principal, and they have a talk on the phone, and he expresses that he's excited, and he expresses that the large reason was because now they have a new music teacher. The other one of 20-something years had retired, and the new music teacher would love to have us. And so God's providence just opening a door for us. The next step was just to go back and start negotiating. We figured elementary school to elementary school, basically, it's going to be the same price. But then we turned out that this is what is known as auditorium seating. Auditorium seating was $41,000 a year more than just a cafeteria seating. <laughs> so we were like, okay, well, I guess we won't be meeting at Lee. That's more than double what we were already paying. Um, 
Uh, God was so gracious to us because the people who are actually in charge of the pricing are the people at the Baker School whom we already had a great relationship with. We came back to meet with them. One of them said, I'm actually a pastor's wife. I've been praying for you guys too. We feel bad that you guys have to leave and let's see if we can work around the pricing. I can't go into the details, but they found some ways for us to reduce the pricing significantly to where now we're only paying $5,000 a year more. So they trimmed $36,000 off of the, the original budget. And a large part of that, God, yeah, give God praise. A large part of that is that we can, they cut off some of the setup time because they're allowing us to keep the sound system up because the music teacher and the principal were excited to share our sound system. Amazing. <laughs> they were like, what is going on? So this is just a testimony to how good God is, to remember that God's the one who's before us. He's so providential, moving things and orchestrating things behind the scenes because of two main reasons. He, he loves UT students. He loves all 50,000 students at UT, and he loves these, these neighborhoods in central Austin and every man, woman, and child that's here. We're convinced that he loves us because he would give his life for us as he did. When we think about Stone's remembrance, and we've got different pictures here. The best picture that we ever have is what Jesus told us to take in remembrance of him, to take the bread, to take the cup, and remember that he has died for us, that he does love us, and that he does love all of these neighborhoods and every single student. So let's celebrate today, and as we take communion, let's remember that God loves us, that he would go out of his way and die for us, and he would take this and say, hey, this is a stone of remembrance. Remember this. Remember me when you take this. Let's worship together. Uh, we're going to do like we did in Baker, uh, where during the worship set, you can come and take communion. Uh, might be a little bit different with our seats the way that they are, but uh, have some flexibility, and we'll, uh, we'll enjoy this time of worship. Let me pray. God, you are a very good God and so providential. You're the one who held back the water. You're the one that, that gave faith to people to start Hill Country UT, gave faith to people to start Midtown, gave us faith and, and unity through this merger, and now have brought us to this place. Uh, thanks for this day of remembrance, and thanks more for this bread and this cup that we have that we do take today. Remembering you, in Jesus' name, amen.